comics, movies, music, video games, technology, Blu-ray, television. This is the HHW LOD Podcast Network. My name is Ichabod Crane. Good morrow, and welcome to the Ichapod Cranecast, the podcast that recaps each week's new episode of the Fox Television series Sleepy Hollow. I am Aaron, and with me is Brandon Peters. Hello. And Maxwell Haddad. Hello, everybody. Uh, we're back, guys. We've, we've, we've survived the majority of the year, and we've come back, and we have new episodes of Sleepy Hollow to talk about. Heck yeah. And, uh, yeah, season two, here it is. 18 new episodes of Sleepy Hollow, meaning we're just going to spend at least 18 hours talking about the show Sleepy Hollow to release on iTunes. And, uh, yeah, it's going to be something. So here we are. Uh, we have the new episode, uh, season two, episode one, This Is War. And, um, with that said, why don't we start this off with a... Quick synopsis of the episode, which is less of a synopsis, more of a recap. But Maxwell, you want to go into that? Absolutely. Picking up immediately after the spellbinding events of the season one finale, Ichabod finds himself buried alive in a coffin. Abby is trapped in purgatory. Ichabod's wife, Katrina, has been kidnapped by the Headless Horseman. Captain Frank Irving is behind bars for a murder he did not commit. And Abby's sister, Jenny, is among the wreckage of a horrific car crash. These events were due in large part to the shocking revelation that Henry Parrish, the trusted friend of Ichabod and Abby, is actually Ichabod and Katrina's son and the second horseman of the apocalypse. So yeah, lots of crazy things happened at the end of the last season. I, you know, actually, I even had a voicemail that I, I never got a chance to play, but it was from James, a uh, listener who... Um, who just had a had a ton to say about the like the two part season finale and very all very positive. Um, so I just want to want to throw that out there right now that uh we're, you know we're doing this show again. We're back, Brandon Maxwell and I, and uh, you know we're going to be happy to do it. And if anyone wants to you know write it write in or you know leave a leave an audio response, you can feel free to email us at ichapodcranecast at gmail dot com or uh, send us a voicemail at nine seven two seven nine eight three eight three zero. Uh, either of those ways, you can reach out to our show, and we can we'll be happy to kind of read your responses or play them on the air, and you know, uh, you know, just happy to hear you guys up because you know we know people you know like listening to the show. Speaking of which, iTunes reviews and ratings good to get those helps out our show, helps other people find the show. If people are you know seeking out a Sleepy Hollow podcast and need just the one, we have the one with the best title. So clearly, this could be the place that they could go to find their salvation in terms of Sleepy Hollow podcast on the web. And uh, what else? We've updated. We have a Facebook page and a Twitter handle, at uh, Ichapod Crane and Facebook.com slash Ichapod Crane. You can follow and like us there. And um, I added some new some new artwork for uh, for both feeds. Um, I don't know if anyone noticed these things, but I took a I, t- I took a good ten minutes to make to put those together because I wanted to give us a little update. I and, sure noticed. Yeah. Uh, again, if listeners <laughs> feel like you know sending in their own artwork for Sleepy Hollow, we'd be happy to accept that. That'd be wonderful. That that'd make me just feel all kinds of great. But uh. Not expecting it in any way, but you know, happy to kind of give a facelift to the show, uh, to our, to our, to our page dedicated to the show, and uh, yeah. Uh, with that said, we have a new season. We had a new episode. It premiered last night. Uh, Maxwell, you want to go over the ratings real quick for uh, 
Sleepy Hollow? Yeah, so just to establish a little context, it was the first official day of the new fall season. A couple shows on Fox started last week, but by all accounts, this Monday was the beginning of the season. So you have series premieres on networks, uh, and you have a unique situation on CBS where through the end of October, the Big Bang Theory is on Mondays due to Thursday night football. So over the next month and a half, things are going to be a little bit dicey while things are settling and finding their their way throughout the fall season, and then the Big Bang Theory will will shift back to Thursdays. The reason I bring that up is last night two air episodes of the Big Bang aired, which uh, presented, as you know, it's the biggest show on network, presented a big lead-in to the series premiere of Scorpion, which was on opposite Sleepy Hollow. And it, uh, Scorpion did really well, and Sleepy Hollow had to settle with a not uh, terrible, but a pretty standard 2.0 rating and about 5.5 million viewers. That being said, Fox is very optimistic about the Live Plus 7 DVR data. That means anyone who watches it between now and uh, seven days, they're expecting a 95% increase, which would bring it up to a 3.9, which is pretty stellar. So we'll see how it goes. And uh, if, if it, I think if it could stay at a 2.0 or above, uh, it's good to go for the season. I mean, we have to think too, like Monday night is currently probably the most competitive night on television right now. As long I as mean, th Thursday, Thursday is the prime thing, but with the amount of competition between high-rating shows. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, like I said, once Big Bang Theory is back to Thursdays, Thursday becomes the real battleground again. But for now, you have The Voice, you have Big Bang Theory, you have Scorpion, Dancing with the Stars, which, you know, still does really well. So. Yeah, I saw a video of Carlton on Dancing with the Stars. It was pretty good. So. Yeah. And it should be noted, I always find it interesting to compare the rating points and then the million of viewers. So when I, when, just for listeners who aren't like ratings experts, when I say a rating point, I'm only talking about 18 to 49 year olds because that's mostly what the networks care about and what the advertisers care about. So for example, like I said, Sleepy Hollow had a 2.0 rating and 5.5 million viewers, whereas Dancing with the Stars had a 2.2 rating, which is not much higher than Sleepy Hollow, but 12 million viewers, which is more than double. So that just shows you that a lot of old people are watching Dancing with the Stars. All right. Well, that was a lot of details about the ratings. Good to get those. I like having the, you know, you know it's nice to see the kind of the technical side of things and have, having an understanding of how the show's doing on a on a scale that extends beyond just, hey, we thought it was pretty good or it was okay. But, uh, so, yeah, thank you for that, Maxwell. You know, I'm not a sports guy, but uh, TV ratings are kind of the stats I like to follow a little bit here very, and there. So. Very cool. Happy to share. Let's uh, let's get into one of our new segments that we're going to try out for a time and see how this goes. <laughs> um, it's a little thing called Gotham Corner. <laughs> so, with that, I believe all three of us have watched the Gotham pilot at this point, correct? Correct. Mm -hmm. And we figured because Fox Monday nights have become something of an amazing geek night for all of us, we figured, why not talk about the show Gotham? Uh, that, of course, premiered before Sleepy Hollow at 8 o'clock, or I'd imagine 7 Central, based on what I see in TV. <laughs> um, it is the new show following that's set in the world of Gotham City, based off, of course, the city where Batman you know, is located in, and you know, DC Comics world. And uh, this is a... A prequel of sorts to Batman, as it follows Detective Jim Gordon in his younger days, as well as several of Batman's uh, his rogues gallery in younger form. And with that, I just want to go over some kind of brief thoughts on on Gotham, because uh, I think we are all pretty interested in what this show would have to offer. Uh, and with that said, Brandon, why don't you give us some uh, your, your thoughts on Gotham, this pilot episode? 
I think it was loaded with potential, but it was also like loaded itself. I mean, trying to establish its world building and a ton of characters and, and a bunch of like, hey, this is still Batman, even though we don't have Cape Crusader um, in you know adult form. I really, you know, I enjoyed it. I'm excited to look forward uh, to see what it brings. I, I thought Donald Logue just killed it as Harvey Dent. I, I loved him. Harvey uh, Bullock. Or Harvey Bullock, sorry. Two Harveys. Sorry, <laughs> um, Harvey Bullock. Um, I feel like though the script before the one they probably went to shoot this with was probably the best one, and then I think the one they went with was after that to try to kind of simplify it for people. There's a lot of like obvious on the nose like na- name dropping and and stuff like that that and some extra characters that could have just you know maybe waited an episode or two before they introduced. That felt kind of forced in there, but you know this is a pilot. These things happen. They're usually some of the poorest episodes of good series. Once they go, they all can't be like lost and have you know great pilots like that, or you know like, get a chance to take their time. Most of them have to jam pack what the entire first season is going to be in one episode to hook people because you know gotta can't just patiently develop characters, I guess. But you know uh, that said, I you know I I enjoyed it. Could be could be like some serious cop drama could be pulpy at the same time. So I, I think there's, it's a rich, I think they're trying, you know, they're showing people that Batman aside from Batman is a rich uh, universe to play in. And I think he's one of the few comic characters you could do that with because we're just as familiar with his rogues gallery and supporting characters as we are with him. And I think it, it can easily survive without Batman, but um, yeah, I enjoyed it. Looking forward to, to more episodes. Maxwell? Yeah, I mean, for the most part, I'll reiterate uh, what Brandon said, in particular the fact that it's a pilot, and it's the rare pilot that's really, really good. Pilots, by nature, are clunky, filled with exposition and contrivances, and usually overstuffed with characters, and that was certainly the case here, but um, the one thing that I really liked, and I, and I wasn't sure uh, what to expect in this regard, was the tone. It's kind of cheesy, which I don't mind because, you know, it's a network TV show about a fictional town that, you know, eventually has superheroes and supervillains in it. But it's like it's like cheesy noir. And I, the noir aspects of it are what I, I liked. Um, I thought the cast was really good. Ben McKenzie, I've always liked him since EOC. But I was especially impressed by Jada Pinkett. Smith, who uh, completely you know, agree. Yeah. never thought too much of as an actress, except for maybe Scream 2, and she dies uh, pretty early on in that one, spoiler alert, but she was really, like, sort of alluring and, and mischievous, and, you know, I'll take it week by week, but um, for now, I'm definitely on board. And I, I just I know, don't, Sorry, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, I know Ben McKenzie's a, an American actor, but uh, his performance felt like I was watching a foreign actor trying to hide an accent. A little bit at times. Some of his deliveries kind of felt a little weird, but I liked him. But there were some weird moments. I don't know if it was from you know reshooting things, shooting things a lot, different things. But I I, I like him as an actor, and I think you know he'll be fine. But just in this pilot, I just had this kind of weird thing with some of his deliveries. I, I I think the the actors kind of ease into these roles as the pilot goes on, and I don't know if that's a case of of reshoots that have you know kind of strengthened certain aspects of this pilot or not. But uh, for the most part, I agree with everything you guys have just said, where I think it's clearly not going to be the best episode of this series, assuming that there's better episodes to come. Um, but I did like the tone. I did enjoy the kind of work done to establish what the show can be. Um, I do think, yeah, there's some shoddy dialogue here and there and a lot of things that make 
making sure that it establishes what's going on, um, which it sometimes is kind of overbearing, but at the same time, it just feels, suffice to say, necessary, which may be unfortunate, but at the same time, I did not have fun watching this. And yeah, I really like Jada Pinkett Smith, who's like channeling Eartha Kitt in this role. Um, I'm curious to see what uh, super young Catwoman has to do with any of this, given that she's just kind of (laughs) everywhere at the same time, which is odd. And I do like uh, I I want I would definitely want to hear more of like super angry slash Cockney Alfred because that was just entertaining to me. That was an interesting take on Alfred. Yeah, I like, would, uh, it was very different. Yeah, I would that. I don't know how I feel about that. I mean, I mean, you have like two minutes with him in the pilot, so but his his accent kind of threw me for a loop because it was super Cockney and super like rough, uh, you know, streets. And traditionally, Alfred is is far more uh, elegant of a character. So we'll see. Yeah, we'll see where it goes. Uh, but yeah, I don't want to stretch this on too long in our Sleepy Hollow podcast. So yeah, I, I enjoyed the pilot. I'm looking forward to seeing seeing more of this show. And yeah, we'll uh, we'll see what happens. And this has been Gotham Corner. Okay, so that's done. <laughs> um, all right, so let's uh, let's move into Sleepy Hollow now. We have the first episode of the second season. This is War, and let's just start with how it starts. Um, after the lengthy recap that reminds viewers of what happened last season, uh, we get. A quick shot of Ichabod in Ichabod Ichabod inside of the inside of his uh, his coffin, uh, where he's whispering, hoping to have a response from anybody. Before we cut straight to him celebrating his birthday, complete with a cupcake and candle, Ichabod and Abby debate the merits of a happy birthday celebration and the <laughs> the various traditions that have been assigned to this celebration in the years since Ichabod has not been with our world. Uh, it's very humorous. Um, and then we quickly learn that we're supposedly in some sort of flash forward where it's been a year since the events that we last saw our characters in, and Abby has somehow escaped from purgatory, Ichabod has somehow escaped from the grave, and Katrina and Jenny have apparently died, and Henry Parrish has been locked away in a prison. There's a lot of stuff here, and I'm certainly curious about what you guys thought of what was going on exactly. Were you guys uh, fooled by what we eventually would learn as a ruse, or did you believe that we might be having a kind of flashback season of sorts? There was uh, two things. Like, it was the one, yes, like, where it's like, okay, are they flashing us this now, and then we're going to go back and build this season up to that at some point, maybe midway, maybe all the way. or Hannibal style. Yeah, or is this a, a, a ruse, and we're gonna be you know, tricked? And it went on so long, I couldn't, I didn't know which. I, 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 I was just, it was a little bit like, what, what is going on here exactly? Because the, it was like 17 minutes before it was revealed what was going on, <laughs> and it was, it was great. It was playing with me. I was like, okay, you know, I, you know, I'm watching. I'm like, yeah, I watch TV a lot. I know what's going on here. And then they're like, well, maybe not. Well, maybe this. Why is this going on so long? And then it was like, oh, okay. It was something I thought. It just it made me, you know, second guess as I was going. Maxwell, I, I mean, I pretty much thought it wasn't real from the get go. Um, I mean, there was lots of clues, visual clues sprinkled throughout. I was like, they're being manipulated or someone's tricking them. But it was a really uh, strong conceit to start the episode. You know, particularly when you have so many cliffhangers. It, it, you're almost like, are they just uh, not resolving those and just, you know, getting started with the new season? They're like, well, it's been long enough. It's been eight months. We're just going to jump forward. But then as the information starts to reveal, like, Jenny's dead and this and that, I was like, well. Oh. So, but I definitely thought it was interesting. Just I, I wasn't tricked necessarily. 
I um, it, it it certainly like it had me going based on as I told said to Brandon like uh you know Hannibal style it did have me somewhat convinced that maybe they really are going with like a we'll catch up with it as the season picks up, but then I realized no this can't be this can't make any sense based on what they try to do with this I mean it feels it feels if anything like a a very clever writing exercise um, where. It's done for the purpose of what makes for good television. While it's you know it's cool to have a like a, a quick like hey this is a trick all along. It's it felt more it when I look back on it, it feels more like an excuse to kind of establish for people that haven't watched this series yes, before yes. the kind of relationship that Ichabod and Abby, Abby, Abigail have, Abby, Abby have. Um, and you get a headless horseman action. You get too. a headless horseman action sequence as well. Like I feel like it. Yeah, it was really hitting the staples that people presumably enjoy about Sleepy Hollow within the guise of a, a possible, um, you know, alternate reality or ruse or whatever you want to call it for you know, for the sake of of tricking the audience and Ichabod and Abby, uh, which is clever. I I like that. I because I was legit kind of uh, fooled for a little bit of what exactly to believe. Um, with that said, I do like the idea that Moloch apparently knows how to create elaborate scenarios that still emphasize the chemistry between two characters. That's funny to me. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, it, I mean, well, that, that kind of thing helps them to believe in the, you know, this, but it's not really a dream, but this mental trick that's going on with them by, you know, having their chemistry be intact. Well, with, with Moloch presumably being always, like, a step ahead and also, like, yeah. taking time to develop elaborate scenarios such as this, it makes a lot of sense to me why he can't seem to keep track of John Cho, who happens to be able to explain every single plan <laughs> to somebody else, whatever he can, <laughs> without Moloch being none the wiser of all this. But anyway, uh, I mean, within within this ruse, we do get a lot of information about where the plot's going to take us, because we, we, uh, we meet up with Ben Franklin. Um, who based Timothy on Busfield. Timothy Busfield? Yes, I didn't. I, I didn't know that he was going. To, he was cast. No, I, I knew that Timothy Busfield, or I knew that Benjamin Franklin, based off uh, being a comic con being at that panel, I knew that Ben Franklin was going to be a major factor in the season. So we're going to see more of him. <laughs> and we saw a lot of him in this episode based on his lack of clothing. But um, I, I was not aware that Timothy Busfield was cast as uh, Ben Franklin, and I like him. Right. Yeah, <laughs> so, that should have been, been a bigger casting note, or maybe they wanted it to be a surprise. But yeah, we uh, with it. <laughs> Uh, within this, you know, the ruse, we still got a lot of Ichabod revealing things about American history that we didn't know, uh, such as Ben Franklin being even more of a smarty pants than Ichabod Crane is, and Ichabod not being a big fan of that fact. So, uh, and Ichabod was his apprentice. Yes, and we learned things like the um, the the key as part of the kite experiments about electricity um, was in fact more of a an, an elaborate way to destroy some sort of. Some, some sort of key that opens up the door to purgatory, which is what we find out Moloch is uh, desperate to find, which is why he set up this elaborate ruse to begin with, which is all pretty clever. It fits right back into the kind of Sleepy Hollow, uh, twisted American history mythos. Yeah, I mean, they've given you everything that we were loving about Sleepy Hollow last season right away. Like, this, like, yeah, we it's it's for... Newcomers, it's it's showing what the show's made of for the people who were there from last season. It's like, yep, we know what you guys liked. And yeah, we did get a, a headless horseman action sequence, which um, which was preceded by Ichabod and Abby loading up on weapons in their 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 uh, their Sleepy Hollow investigations van, um, where they had crossbows 
and uh, like uh, machine guns and Uzis filled with consecrated rounds and things of this nature. So I can, can only hope that now that they're out of this area, out, out of purgatory and out of the coffin, that we actually get to see some of this stuff in real in real world Sleepy Hollow or whatever you want to call it. But yeah, it led to another elaborate action sequence featuring slow motion uh, grenades and gunfire being tossed about. Uh, back and forth between Horseman and Ichabod and Abby. So um, we uh, we do eventually cut to um, well we get we get the information that that Ichabod and Abby are still very much uh, imprisoned. Uh, Abby's of course stuck in purgatory. Ichabod's under a, <laughs> he's underground, buried in a cave. Uh, we cut over to Jenny, who has been apparently dragged from the car crash and uh, now tied to a chair. She's awoken by. Henry Parrish. Do we call him Henry? Do we call him... What do we call him? Ichabod's son? What do we... What do we, what do we John Noble! John Noble. John Noble. Uh, I, I think we call him War. War. That, War. There you go. That's easy. We call him War. Um, he he um, wakes up Jenny by, I believe, he just nails her with um, adrenaline, right? Yeah. 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 And uh, basically, he, just want, he wants answers. He wants to know what's going on. He wants to know how to find the key. Jenny, who previously did sort of, you know work for Sheriff Clancy Brown... Um, has some information about where to find the key, um, and this, and Henry and Henry Parrish being, you know, the sin eater, he is able to kind of grasp onto Jenny and figure out some clues as to how to find the key, but not all of them. He's able to kind of see that she has some pages and. Speaking of, uh, just as a brief aside, her working for Clancy Brown, I'd love to see an, an episode that's a full-on, like pre prequel episode, um, of their time together. Oh yeah, oh yeah. We've we talked about this plenty, and we certainly, you know, now that she's, a, you know, promoted to the cast like a regular, it'd be nice to actually see that happen. And and John Noble is as well, correct? Yes, yes. Yes, that's very exciting. He is uh, a deliciously uh, mis- evil actor. So yeah, we get get the Jenny stuff, then we get back to Ichabod, who has probably the most hilarious scene in this episode where he's recording a message. Wait, that's later on. I'll get to that. That's that's a little bit later. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, we get Ichabod, like, he pulls out his phone and tries to figure out what to do. There's no service on his phone. Um, he then realizes that he's buried underneath sulfur. And so we'll get back to that later on. Uh, did you guys have an idea of what that meant when he initially said, like, sulfur? Yeah, I was like, it's that's going to go boom. Yeah. Boom. Yep. At first I was like, not not necessarily related to uh, the sulfur. I was like, he's just got a Beatrix kid on his way out of there. <laughs> yeah. Just go and just start punching. That's what I I, uh, I was live tweeting the episode under the Ichabod Crane banner last night. And I said, Ichabod, remember what Pi May taught you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but yeah, as soon as he said said sulfur, I was like, kaboom. Uh, we then cut over to Katrina. So smart. Right. We then cut over to Katrina, who is um, being held captive by the Horseman. Uh, she's tied up, but uh, the Horseman is, you know, he, he is he's of course. Well, he's Brom Bones, and he's of course still smitten with Katrina. So he, you know, he tries to feed her. He he gives her a loaf of bread, and he unties her. Um, he also puts his knife on the table, which was a bad idea because Katrina <laughs> quickly grabs the knife and stabs him in the hand and tries to escape. Um, so that things don't go well for Katrina. She just gets tied back up again. Um, this little this little scene here with uh, the headless horseman like getting undressed and walking across the room and then changing his clothes. The fact that this show took the time to like give a headless character that like little characterization was really cool to me that's coming up a little later yeah we'll talk about oh, the... i'm sorry i'm sorry so, yeah that's fine we'll talk about yeah because they do have a conversation which is interesting uh we then get over to abby who's in purgatory and of course officer brooks john cho shows up 
and is able to to explain to Abby that bad things are happening in Purgatory, that Moloch is creating a demon army, and he, of course, plans to unleash that into the world. Of course, he needs the key first. Uh, yeah, I'm not... Do you think John Joe's going to come back again, or do you think this is just kind of like a one-off send-off for his character? I He could come back again, but I'm not going to count on it. It felt like they could... They couldn't get Clancy Brown back, but they could get John John Cho back. Well, Clancy Brown's not in Purgatory, though. I mean, no, but I mean, there's for legit some reason sort of, to have him for some sort of cameo. But I could see John Cho back at some point, but it really felt like a way to sort of tie a bow on the character or give him like his, uh, you know, allow him to uh, repent for his sins a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Who knows? You never know. This show obviously is not against doing anything. You could, you know. For all we know, he could end up being the third horseman. There, yeah, there think, you go. <laughs> yeah, I think John Cho came back a lot more than we expected him to last last year, too. So. For sure. It just feels... Yeah, this year, he has his own show. He's on Selfie. Selfie yeah. Oh, that's right, yeah. Last, um, but, you know, if you're the lead in a sitcom, that takes up quite a bit of your time. Yeah, but John, John Cho certainly knows how to be busy. I mean, he's, he's often been on several shows at once, so I, wouldn't, I guess I wouldn't be surprised if he came back for... Sleepy Hollow again, but that said, I mean, it was, I felt it, why I think he won't be coming back, why I feel like this was more of a, like, tying up his character and kind of a surprise cameo for the episode is that he was just regular John Cho, like, he didn't have any elaborate, like, death makeup on, and granted, he wasn't in, like, the real world, so he wasn't, like, a decayed body or whatever, but it felt like if they really wanted to emphasize him still being a part of this show for, like, a more consistent basis, he probably would have, you know, been messed up still, like he has been in, like, every other episode since... The pilot episode, I guess. That's just my thoughts on it. I don't know. That's speculation, really. Uh, moving on, we get back. To, now we get back to Ichabod Crane, who has what I already said was the, probably the funniest moment of the episode, where he's recording a message that serves as kind of a, a will and testament um, on the on the smartphone that he's carrying. And at the end of the message, the it says memory is full, so none of that recorded at all, <laughs> and, um, <laughs> and no, no, nothing pays off for him or this plan not to work. But Yes, he does create sort of a, a gunpowder escape method from the grave where he blows up the sulfur he's buried in, and it cuts to commercial, but we you know, obviously know that Ichabod is able to survive this. At least he figured out how to record a video. He's getting better with technology. Yeah, and then we're going to find out what he needs to learn to do next as we get back to Jenny, who, who uh, Ichabod is trying to call frantically on his phone. As he's doing this, uh, the captor, Jenny's being watched over. Her captor is distracted by the phone. And Jenny then is able to basically do everything to beat this man to death. He, she kicks him in the balls, she, she knocks him to the ground, then she uh, she cuts herself free and then stabs the... Or she, she kind of flings the knife into the guy's chest. So he's gone. She's And now she's basically... She has a gun, she's kind of running, trying to sneak away. Uh, we get a kind of a shootout ensues, we get a lot of pow, pew, pew, pewing. And Ichabod then bursts into the, uh, bursts into the, uh, the place where Jenny's being held. With an ambulance, uh, Jenny gets in the car and they kind of drive. They try to drive away. Ichabod has no idea how to reverse, so they have to switch places. Um, at this point, he says something along the lines of "Must learn to drive," which we also know, based on Comic Con, is going to be a major part of the season. Ichabod learning to drive, <laughs> probably as big of an arc as who the third horseman is going to be. Who Ichabod learning to drive? I hope that's a runner. I hope there's a runner of him like studying and like driving occasionally, and then t- you know the season finale has him taking his test before they have a final face off against like the 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 next horseman or something of that nature. I'll be right there to fight the third horseman, but first I must parallel park. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Um, let's see. Moving on. Uh, after Ichabod and rescues Jenny, they um, they're now trying to figure out a plan to getting uh, Abby out of purgatory. Um, Abby in purgatory. She uh, manages to uh, based on uh, based on on uh, John Cho's information, she's able to communicate with Ichabod by saying a little incantation and saying Ichabod's name and. As Ichabod looks into a rearview mirror of her car, he's suddenly pulled into purgatory for a brief period so he can talk to Abby. Um, Abby's all about saying, hey, you should stay away from me and try to just stop all the evilness going on. And Ichabod's like, no, I promise to get you out of there. I'm going to get you out of there. And that's basically the essence of that scene. But it does give us a nice scene between Ichabod and Abby. Yes, very nice scene. Yeah, I like the production design of Moloch's lair. It's very creepy. Yeah. Weird place to kind of <laughs> try to communicate with somebody, by the way, the, the lair of Moloch. But, uh, yeah, good job. <laughs> that was the only place. It just shows you how how uh, unconcerned Moloch seems to be with everything going on in his own area <laughs> while he does everything else. I, I think War is a much, much better villain than, than Moloch at this point. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, we get so we get uh, more Ichabod and Jenny talking about how to get Abby out. Obviously, they need the key that's been discussed. What is it called? The um, the the Genia key. Yeah. And um, yeah, I would've so, been, it would have been too obvious to call it the uh, MacGuffin key. I think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, or a key to, or just purgatory pur- pur- key. The key to pur- <laughs> purgatory. Purgatory. Yeah. Season um, two, episode one. Must find the rabbit's foot. <laughs> So we get more discussion about what this, uh, how to find this key, which leads to Ichabod um, explaining more about Benjamin Franklin and um, how he had his own secret alphabet, and that's the way to transcribe the pages that Jenny um, had found for Sheriff Clancy Brown in the past. Um, this leads them to the location of where they need to go to find said key. It, of course, is in a fairly convenient location, so they don't have to drive very far. They are they, they see there's a bunch of what, Hessians around that are also looking for the key. It's a very Raiders type scene because they're digging in the wrong place while Abby or Jenny and, and Ichabod actually find the right place to look for the key, and they find it. Um, they all start, about the Benjamins. It's all about. I have that. I literally have that in my note. It says all about the Benjamins. It was like, and it always was. <laughs> so yeah, they. Uh, he says something like it's a uh, like under the clock tower or something like that, which is the hint that gets them to go to some clock tower and they find the key. Then we get over to the uh, the Katrina. Uh, scene where she interacts with with Abraham about what uh, what he wants, um, and yeah, we get the elaborate uh, horseman undressing, topless, headless horseman shot, uh, followed by fancier clothes horseman, where he then recreates his own head so he can have a conversation with Katrina. This is uh, probably this is probably my favorite scene in the episode. Just and, the fact, like I was saying before, and I apologize again for talking about it at the wrong point, that they took the time to show the headless character changing his clothes. Something about it just really tickled me. No, it's a, it's a, it's very Sleepy Hollow, that's for sure. And while well, I guess we can't have John Cho serving as the necromancer and all this, uh, they found a once again because he put he puts on like a necklace that that uh, that what Katrina gave her in real life, right? That's how he can kind of speak to her in his own way. Yep, some sort of charmed or or magical necklace. Yeah, I mean, yeah, they try to have a conversation. He tries to have a conversation explaining that. Uh, that she, you know, that that she still want, would des- desires Katrina and Ichabod. He's he's probably gonna die, so there's no reason to to look out for him because, uh, you know, you got you got a horseman right here in front of you. <laughs> so that's the end of that. We get back to um, Ichabod and uh, Jenny dealing with the whole let's get our Abby out of purgatory situation, and they so Ichabod goes back into purgatory. Um, as this is happening, Jenny re- uh, reminds Ichabod to 
to not be fooled by deception in purgatory and, of course, not to kind of drink anything or eat anything because that would, of course, kind of lock him in purgatory forever. Um, good thing we got this information because the second Ichabod goes into purgatory, Abby, who is freaking out because she lost her amulet, um, suddenly sees Ichabod, and he's like, all right, come on, Abby, let's get out of here. Here, drink this. And, of course, that's a no-no. And then the real Ichabod comes up, and in a kind of Sarah Connor fight Sarah Connor for T2 situation, we have two Ichabods kind of confronting each other, and um, yeah, a scuffle occurs. And, uh, and in order to make it much easier on the special effects department, the fight is conveniently shot in the sort of blurry uh, areas of Purgatory that Abby is too far away to see. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, in in her visions, kind of, because she was she like her reaction to another Ichabod, the real Ichabod being there, is that she jumps on the fake Ichabod, and so of course the fake Ichabod throws her against a tree, so she's kind of like woozy. So we see through her eyes what's going on. <laughs> um, so yeah, we get an icky battle, and this leads to one Ichabod coming out successful and saying, "Come on, let's go, Abby. Come on, Lieutenant," which of course is a giveaway because Ichabod, as we know, refers to Abby as Lieutenant. And um, this leads to Abby slicing the head off of the fake Ichabod. Um, Ichabod then, <laughs> the real Ichabod then, pulls out the uh, the key to, purg- to purgatory, opens the doors, pulls himself and Abby out. Just as Moloch is trying to chase after and escape himself, the doors close, and all that's good. And so, the key dissolves. The key, of course, yeah, it's a one-time key, obviously. This will self-destruct. And it did. Perfect. Yep. I really like the effect of the door opening and... Sort of the shards of glass, things freeze in midair, and they jump through, and then it closes up behind them. Yeah, I referred to that as a sleepy Stargate on Twitter. I thought it was, <laughs> it was a... This show, I mean, we talk about it all last season, consistently delivers, particularly on their network TV budget with the, the sets and the costumes and the special effects. I mean, it's all really well done and consistent and never feels cheap. For sure, yeah. Mm-hmm. So um yeah we get to, we get a kind of a coda on this uh this episode as we uh we have Jenny and Abby reunited Ichabod of course reunited as well we get some uh some time spent to explain that wa- that war is coming this is war and uh we got to we got to be ready for uh for anything that comes our way basically the kind of mantra of the series and uh meanwhile down in the catacombs we get another scene with Henry Parrish who's talking to Moloch on the other side he opens a doorway and reveals a kind of uh, robot chainmail armor, suit of armor that will be serving as the kind of uh, the, the representation of of the war horseman that Henry himself will control. Henry pulls out a flaming sword and hands it to the horseman. And um, yeah, basically we have an establishment of the, of the next horseman who will be causing a lot of trouble this season, I'm sure. That scene uh, feel a little Power Rangers-ish to anybody else? Like, I can't say so. I, I mean, the Moloch, Moloch kind of remind me of uh, Rita Repulsa, and she was summing up some like monster to come out. It just it, it felt like even kind of like super cheesy for Sleepy Hollow standards, even. But it just felt it felt different a bit to me tonally. You think so? Just in this presentation, yeah, it just kind of it felt a little odd to me. You didn't but. think it was on par with like the first season's like finale of John Cho's like head getting broken and stuff like that? No, I, I don't know. Maxwell, your thoughts on the, uh, the kind of... Uh, it, it didn't strike me as out of the tone of the show, no. Sorry. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I watched it twice and I just something just didn't sit right with me with it, but 
I'm not against what happened. It was just the way it was presented felt a bit weird to me. But. All right. Well, uh, thoughts on the episode overall, Brandon? No, it was fine. It was fine. No, it was it was good to be back. I I like the kind of patient uh, start it had with its little trickery. Um, Ichabod had some like great little one-liners. With a, he used the term that he got punked at the beginning, which was fun. Um, <laughs> yeah. And like the happy birthday stuff. Um, the chemistry's still there. Um, it was p- p- plenty of fun. They uh, went back to you know the purgatory where I liked a lot of the visual effects and stuff that were going on. I'm just yeah, they got themselves. They solved you know nice little epilogue to the finale of last season. I'm ready to see what, where we go uh, with the next 17 episodes. Maxwell? Yeah, I thought it was a really smart way to start a season, uh, particularly a season that comes like eight and a half months after the previous season. This is an unusually long gap for network TV. So it, thanks to its opening conceit sort of allowed us to refresh and relearn these characters and their relationships and it's sort of a pretty decent you know, uh, entry point for any new watchers who maybe watched Gotham and, and wanted to check uh, Sleepy Hollow out after it. But I thought it was a strong episode. And, and what I really love about this show is that if you sort of dissect it part by part, as we do here on the on the Ichapod Crankcast, uh, talking about the uh, individual elements sort of makes you sound like an insane person. Like, and then there's a scene with Ben Franklin in the nude, and then then the the horseman without the head changes his clothes, and then the the key disappears. But in the the context of the show, it does such a good job of feeling cohesive. Like, I have this theory basically that something doesn't have to make sense; it just has to trick you into thinking that it makes sense, and that's what this show does. Like, Sleepy Hollow is nonsense, and I say that fondly. But the, thanks to the tone and the performance and, and the fast pace, it makes you believe that what you're watching makes sense in its own world. And I thought this episode was like a, a fine stamp on that. And I'm uh, very optimistic about what's to come. I very much agree with you. Um, and I do like this this uh, this season two premiere quite a bit. I think it does a tremendous job of bringing me right back into what I liked about this show, where the it's very it's very plot heavy, but not in a way that feels overbearing. Um, it, it feels like it's hitting all the points uh, very well because I like these these characters are likable as silly as the content might be or whatever. Um, I do think it does a great job of kind of grounding it in whatever it wants to consider a reality because you have such a strong uh, chemistry going between Ichabod and pretty much anyone he interacts with. I think Tom Meisen just does a great job in this role. Um, and then, yeah, you have the kind of the supernatural uh, nature of it and the various effects and things like that to kind of make it this this weird little thing um, that works. And you get, you know, the action stuff that's, like, fun and whatever. And, uh, and, you know, the silliness adds to it. And it really embraces that, which is what I saw happening in this, you know, this episode once again. I was Because, you know, I haven't... I haven't rewatched this series since um, since it, you know since we last left it in January. I didn't get to do a rewatch or anything. Um, so being able to watch this episode and just be drawn right back into that world again, I think it's a very it's very much something that I I, I was happy to be able to kind of step back into and be I, completely think, okay with that. I think it's like a testament to the allure of the show. For sure, yeah. If you're with it, yeah. you're with it, and ideally it can bring new people in as well who are like, you know what, this is pretty good. Um, but for us that are already fans of it, it's certainly giving us more of what we liked about the show without feeling contrived in any way. It just feels like, no, this is what Sleepy Hollow is, and it does that very well. 
Well, there's only been 13 previous episodes. It's not like we're on episode 30 and it, yeah. we're stuck in this rut of more of the same. Like, you know, most network shows get 22 episodes. So, you know, in terms of the amount of episodes they've written and the stories they've told, obviously it's season two, but they're still only in their first 22 episodes. Also funny um, is um, the the amount of time that Ichabod and Abby spend, you know, in prison is not that much. Like, you end the season on a note where it's pretty down because Ichabod's in a coffin buried underground and, and Abby's stuck in purgatory. And while other shows might, you know, have tried to drag that out, or even something like The Sopranos decides to spend, like, multiple episodes inside Tony's mind while he's in a coma... Um, it's like this. Uh, this show's like, no, we need to keep things moving. We're gonna get them out in like six hours. Like that's the kind of attitude that Tony Hall has. Right. Reminded me of the cliffhangers that Joss Whedon used to write on Buffy or Angel. Like a season would end with something so dire and drastic, and then like in the first thirty seconds, the characters are out of it and on to the new, the new stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's mean, a oh, good mean, way to. Go ahead, sorry. Meanwhile, like Henry Parrish is like he's 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 trying to punish his own father because he was he slept underground for like two hundred years and is like really angry about that. Ichabod's I can't wait for that interaction, like, guess what? I got out. Like that's it. Six hours? Next time don't bury me in a sulfur field. Didn't think that one through, did you? Who who buries someone and is like, Yeah, you can have your cell phone down there. I mean there was there was no service, it didn't do anything for him. Well, he should have been on sprint. Yeah. <laughs> Alright, moving on. Um let's go let's go back to this. We haven't done this in a while. Let's go to a cra- our crazy hokum theories of the week. Uh what we think could what makes some, some since it's the beginning of the season, I think we it, the, the space is open to make some predictions for what could happen in the rest of this season. Uh you guys have any thoughts on uh any kind of crazy theories that might uh, take place? Crazy ideas. Um we will see Orlando Jones. <laughs> okay, yeah. That is, I forgot to mention that. Yeah, we don't get any update on Mil- on uh, Irving because, well, there's no time for it. I understand this episode not having a need to show him because it's more focused on let's get the main characters out of the predicament they were in. His yeah. predicament can wait. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I, it's tough at this point for me to have any crazy welcome theories because most of this episode was about resolving the lingering threads from before without really setting up anything new. So right. until until we sort of start to get an idea of the big story this season is telling. Um, that being said, uh, you know, I think pretty early on we predicted that Katrina before the end of the first season would make her way to present time or and out of purgatory. So based on his importance in the premiere, my crazy theory is that before the season's over, Benjamin Franklin will travel through time. Oh boy. Oh Ooh. my God. Can't wait for that. <laughs> He's uh, the guy behind Moloch. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, there's, there's always the, the best way to write these sort of supernatural shows is just always have a guy behind the guy behind the guy. So who knows? Who knows who the ultimate puppet master may be? Because the the, the apprentice will become the master when Ichabod faces off with him. Hey Yeah, I look forward to seeing. I I, I predict that uh, Benjamin Franklin will be the man behind Sam Adams' spear. That's that's where I'm going. <laughs> that's that's what I got. It's actually a logger. Um. Um, moving on, let's get to uh, next week's episode. Um, Brandon, do you want to go over what next week's episode is all about? Oh, I forgot the title of it. What's the title of it? It's like Kindred. Kindred is the title of next week's episode. Yeah, next week. Um, next week's episode, Kindred. Ichabod Crane and Lieutenant Abby Mills concoct a daring plan to try to rescue Ichabod's wife, Katrina, from the Headless Horseman by resurrecting a Frankenstein-like monster created created by Benjamin Franklin. 
Meanwhile, Frank Irving faces a new trouble after revealing the true details of his encounter with the demon, and Jenny Mills finds herself at odds with the new sheriff in town. Oh, man, I hope she doesn't shoot the sheriff. Or the deputy. Mm. So, sorry. So, yeah, that's um, exciting stuff, I guess. Yeah, we so we get more Frank Irving. So um, we've already got one crazy hokum theory come true. Good job, Brandon. <laughs> See, we're, we're, money this season. We're great, I'm telling you. We fine-tuned this podcast to really give you guys the deets. So here we go. Um, all right, so with all that, that's going to bring us to the end of our tale this week in the hollow. Feel free to email us, as I mentioned before, at IchabodCraneCast at gmail.com. Or, of course, follow us on Twitter at IchabodCrane or follow us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash IchabodCrane. Um, you can also follow all the other shows at HHWLOD.com. That is the podcast network that, of course, hosts this show, along with many other shows about comics and TVs and fun stuff like that. With that said, uh, Brandon, wh- Brandon, where can people find more of your work online? Uh, people can find my work at Naptown Nerd, which is naptownnerd.blogspot.com. I uh, do franchise film retrospectives. Um, currently, I'm doing uh, ha- the Hammer Horror Dracula series. So if you're into like classic horror, like Sleepy Hollow likes to evoke, and check those out and watch them. Oh, and read along as they go. I also do Blu-ray reviews for Why So Blue, and um, yeah, I'm on here and Twitter at BT Peters. Maxwell, yeah, uh, you could check my work out at cinemaxwell.com or or follow me on uh, Twitter at cinemaxwell. If there are any uh, Survivor fans uh, amongst our listeners, I'm planning on doing some pretty in-depth Survivor coverage uh, this season with uh, the premiere starting tomorrow night. Uh, so after that, you can check out cinemaxwell.com for my thoughts on the premiere and the players and who's in power positions, etc. You can follow me at Aaron's PS4. I also write for my own site, thecodeazeek.com, where you can find all my film reviews. I'm also, I'm also actually writing about Gotham this season in written form on theyoungfolks.com. And you can also find me on the podcast Out Now, Theron and Abe, a weekly film podcast, which Maxwell and Brandon have of course, been guests on in the past, but I hosted my friend Abe, and of course, WhysoBlue.com as well. Um, let's see, last thing, uh, we did record a Brandon, myself, and um, and a friend of the show, Victoria Irwin uh, from Fangirl Nation. We recorded a Sleepy Hollow commentary for the Tim Burton film as a kind of bonus episode that was a mix of this show and Out Now, Farron and Abe. So if you did not catch that, you can find that on iTunes right now. Please listen. It took a lot of effort to get those two podcasts to come together. To... <laughs> yeah, the, I, I, had to, I had to contact some people deep in the industry to get that going. Uh, but yeah, with all of that said, until next time, heads. Will. Cause I'm in need